Who am I? Continued. Please sit comfortably. The self, the place where we live, is a place of illusion. Goodness is connected with the attempt to see the unself, to pierce the veil of selfish consciousness and to join the world as it really is. This is Maria Popova in her wonderful blog, The Marginalian, quoting the famous English writer and philosopher, Iris Murdoch in the introduction to a piece she wrote about the greatly beloved Vietnamese Zen teacher, Thich Nhat Hanh, shortly after he died in January. In her book, The Sovereignty of the Good, Iris Murdoch continues, it is an empirical fact about human nature that this attempt cannot be entirely successful. Popova, however, omits this observation and goes on to write about Thich Nhat Hanh. And although he himself is often regarded as an exemplar of selflessness, I suspect that he may not have disagreed with Iris Murdoch on this point. After all, practice is endless, and it is often said in Zen circles that even Shakyamuni is only halfway there. Popova, however, moves straight on to say that since the 1970s, when Iris Murdoch wrote this, there has been a blossoming of practices anchored in the dissolution of the self in the West. And she goes on to write about Thich Nhat Hanh, who she describes as one of the most well-known popularizers of unselfing practices. She particularly draws attention to his book, Fragrant Palm Leaves, which I read for the first time last year and quoted in one of my talks then. It is a published version of his journals from 1962 to 1966. Popova is astute to quote from this text because more than any of his more recent books, it is, as she writes, a rare record of his unselfing. I won't say any more about that right now, but I would encourage you to read the book yourself. His writing about this time in his life shows his profound and at times alarming understanding of the human condition. Nothing saccharine here. This was a man soon to be banished from his homeland that was torn apart by the ongoing and rapidly escalating war for daring not to accept the normal rules because he saw through them. It was not that he was on the wrong side, rather that he saw through the delusion of sides. So this has been a long-winded introduction to this, my second taste show in our first session of 2022. But it is pertinent because reading again about Thich Nhat Hanh's early experiences reminded me that the depth of his wisdom, his deep realization of the fundamental truths of our existence was forged by fire. Like the much-loved Tangen Roshi, 
a student of Harada Roshi, who began the Sambo Kyoden lineage from which the Diamond Sangha developed. Tangen had his life marked out by the experience of war. Tangen, in fact, was saved from certain death as a kamikaze pilot by an announcement of surrender by the emperor, literally just as he was walking across to board his plane. There is nothing like a close encounter with our own bodily impermanence to spur us on in our practice. Tangen Roshi was not only spurred on, but went on to spur many others. Which brings me back to now. The past two years have been marked by a global pandemic for the first time in our lifetimes. Not since the Spanish flu over a hundred years ago have so many people been threatened by an infectious disease outbreak of this kind. People in Australia have been scared, depressed, exhausted, especially those who are old and or have underlying health conditions or have experienced relationship problems, even domestic violence. Others have been separated from their loved ones or have had financial or work-related worries or all of the above. For many of us who have not lived through a war or a famine yet, this pandemic has likely been the first time that we have felt that our lives and all the lives of those we love are at risk. How are we doing? How can this practice help? Does it help? And if so, how? What does realizing our true nature have to do with anything? A few weeks ago, someone I know was struggling with exhaustion and an incipient recurrence of chronic fatigue syndrome brought on by moving house in the middle of our four month lockdown while caring for her elderly husband who has a degenerative disease and increasingly needs a lot of looking after. I was worried about her as she withdrew into herself. After some days of self-isolation, quiet contemplation and a lot of rest, she sent me a voice recording which went like this. At the center of my labyrinth is love, infinite love, eternal love. Remember all this history, how the diamond Sangha was forged in the climate of engaged Buddhism. I mentioned this to remind us that our practice arose in response to suffering. Not just the sickness, old age and death that so alarmed the young Shakyamuni, but the everyday ways we suffer when we get angry or disappointed, when things don't go as we would like them to. This is what practice is for, to help us to let go of our personal concerns whether they be the fact that we are about to be shot out of the sky by enemy gunfire, the fact that we cannot get together with our loved ones because of border closures or war, or our fears that we will never be good enough, never content, never loved. Whatever particular state of mind you are in now, rest assured that it will change. <laughs> 
This practice though is a pathway on which we can lose ourselves if we're lucky. Returning now to fragrant palm leaves, Thich Nhat Hanh wrote, it's funny how much our surroundings influence our emotions, our joys and sorrows, likes and dislikes, are colored by our environment so much that often we just let our surroundings dictate our course. We go along with the public feelings until we no longer even know our true aspirations. We become a stranger to ourselves, molded entirely by society. Sometimes I feel caught between two opposing selves, the false self imposed by society and what I would call my true self. How often we confuse the two and assume society's mold to be our true self. Battles between our two selves rarely result in a peaceful reconciliation. Our mind becomes a battlefield on which the five aggregates, which we know from the Heart Sutra as form, sensation, perception, mental reaction and consciousness are strewn about like debris in a hurricane. Trees topple, branches snap, houses crash. These are our loneliest moments. Yet every time we survive such a storm, we grow a little. Without storms like these, I would not be who I am today but I rarely hear such a storm coming until it is already upon me. I am battered and torn apart, and I am also saved. That's the end of the quotation. So we can welcome times of chaos and upheaval. These are times when we might ask ourselves, who am I really? Because all our ideas of who we are have crumbled. Session is a time when we can help things along because we have no excuse to be anyone or anything. We are traditionally held tight in a session form away from our usual escapes. But returning to the stories where I started, both women faced by difficulties were left in the end with nothing but love. Whether it's personal health issues that drive someone who is not a Zen practitioner to choose to retreat into solitude, silence and rest in order to recover, or a Zen teacher dealing with ill health, even the deaths of others from family members to the whole earth. There is a pattern here of acknowledging and accepting the pain and difficulty and finding that when we let go completely of trying to make it right, trying to fix ourselves, fix someone else, everyone else, or the whole planet, underneath all that is love. We don't talk about love much in Zen, but Thich Nhat Hanh had no such qualms. As I've mentioned before, his lineage had come directly to Vietnam from China, and he was a Chan Zen monk, Tian in Vietnamese. Vietnam had received one stream of Buddhism from China on the northern border and one from India via the south and western borders. 
Consequently, perhaps more than anywhere else in Asia, there was some mingling of Theravada and Mahayana, Vipassana and Zen. Today, we chanted yet another version of the Metta Sutta, the discourse on love, as it translates into English. This time, a direct translation from the Pali by Thich Nhat Hanh himself, who, in addition to his native language, was fluent in French, English, classical Chinese, Sanskrit, and, as we see here, Pali. While he had a great affinity for children, reminding me always of Ryokan, he also had been a Fulbright scholar at Princeton and lectured in Buddhist studies at both Columbia and Cornell in the 1960s. Um, going back to his affinity for children, um, Sabana uh, Bazagi was telling me that um, he was invited to lead a retreat at the Forest Retreat Center near Lismore, where instead of, um, he insisted on holding it in the middle of the dwelling area at Bodhi Farm, but and not in the designated temple area, which was at the top of the mountain. Um, this led to great chaos for the organizers because although it was called Bodhi Farm, lots of the residents weren't in fact Buddhist and didn't really want their whole village turned into a, into a retreat. But the children absolutely adored him and you know followed him around like the Pied Piper and so on. So I think he won everybody over by winning over the children first. Um, yeah, so that was at Bodhi Farm, which has very, very recently um, suffered a major landslide. Anyway, I'm speaking of him today in honor of his contribution to Western Buddhism, and particularly his role in the normalization of socially engaged Buddhism, along with Aitken Roshi. I'm also speaking of his role in the development of Zen in the Diamond Sangha in Australia, Subana Bazagi had invited him to lead the retreat in northern New South Wales, which I just mentioned. And Jilly Coote, another Diamond Sangha Roshi, who had studied and travelled previously with him, made a film called The Awakening Bell about his visit to Australia in the 1980s. Um, this film is available on YouTube. Um, it's actually in English, but it has Spanish subtitles. Um, and it's very much about the, the Vietnamese community in Sydney at that time, because it was not long after there'd been a huge influx of um, refugees at the end of the war. So in the Sydney Zen Center, to which I belonged prior to moving to WA in 1992, there were several people who had studied or worked with Thich Nhat Hanh, and they were involved in his visit to New South Wales in 1986, which was when I heard him speak. I cannot deny his influence on us all, especially because he and Aitken Roshi, who was in the, at that time in the 1980s, the only Diamond Sangha teacher for us all in Australia, East and West. And while coming from different Zen traditions, they were united in their commitment to socially engaged Buddhism as a fundamental aspect of the practice. But this is not a modern add-on, not an extra. 
when we realize who we really are, how can we not love and care for this entire body? Not because we should, not because it is a moral imperative, but because when we realize who we really are, there is no other. I'd like to end by reading you a poem of Thich Nhat Hans. Uh, not this time, the well-known and well-loved call me by my true names, names of frog and mayfly, pirate and so on, which was written in 1978. And if you don't know this poem, I highly recommend you read it at some point. This poem that I'm going to read is an earlier one, written in around 1965 before he was exiled from Vietnam, especially for the young people with whom he worked in the School of Youth for Social Services. Before setting herself on fire, one of the earliest members of the order of interbeing that Thich Nhat Hanh had founded with six board members from the School of Youth for Social Services, read this poem into a tape recorder and left it for her parents. The poem is called Recommendation. Promise me. Promise me this day. Promise me now, while the sun is overhead, exactly at the zenith, promise me. Even as they strike you down with a mountain of hatred and violence, even as they step on you and crush you like a worm, even as they dismember and disembowel you, remember, brother, remember. Man is not our enemy. The only thing worthy of you is compassion, invincible, limitless, unconditional. Hatred will never let you face the beast in man. One day, when you face this beast alone with your courage intact, your eyes kind, untroubled, even as no one sees them. Out of your smile will bloom a flower. And those who love you will behold you across 10,000 worlds of birth and dying. Alone again, I will go on with bent head knowing that love has become eternal. On the long, rough road, the sun and moon will continue to shine. 